on today's episode of Holly Weird Paranormal. The date is June 16, 1959. LAPD arrives at 1579 Benedict Canyon to find the body of George Reeves, a.k.a. Superman, with a gunshot wound to his head in his bedroom. Investigators immediately labeled his death as a suicide. However, many close to Reeves believe that his death was a murder. Could there have been a Lex Luthor hiding in his bedroom that night? Or could it have been depression that became TV Superman's kryptonite? Or was it a jilted lover, Tony Maddox? We also discussed the strange occurrences causing tenants of his former home to move in and then immediately move out. This is the true crime and paranormal aftermath of Superman, George Reeves. Hi guys, welcome back to Hollywood Paranormal. We're your hosts, Tammy Merhab Chavez. I'm Bryce Mitchell Williams. And welcome to episode three, you guys, where we're going to be talking about Superman, the death of Superman, George Reeves. So I like to call him the OG of of the Supermans because he was pretty much the first one to don like the cape and everything. everything. And portray Superman on television in, you know, the early 50s. So for all of you guys that have no idea who George Reeves is. George Reeves was pretty much the first per, like actor to portray Superman on television. He was the first one to pretty much don the costume with the cape and the S. And then eventually it was passed down to you know several other individuals mm-hmm. to portray him on film and television. But definitely no relation to Christopher Reeves. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I didn't know who he was before we started doing this. Right. And like researching for today. Yeah. So I was like, what is, are they just keeping it in the family? Like that seems so crazy. No, no relation. No, no relation. Just it's weird. so, but it's a funny coincidence. It is a funny coincidence. However, if you were a, you know, a baby boomer, if you're mm-hmm. a ba- baby boomer and you're listening to this podcast and you, you would say, oh no, like I, I remember watching him. Mm-hmm. And I know that they played uh, The Adventures of Superman on Nick at Night. I don't know if you remember Nick at Night. I mean, I remember it, but I was, because they would also do Are You Scared of the Dark? And I very much was scared of the dark. And so I would turn it off because I was too afraid. So I didn't know they played it on Nick at Night. Oh, yeah, they played it super late. And I remember, like, staying up and, like, doing homework Mm -hmm. and and watching those episodes. And my dad would always pass by and say, Oh, I used to watch that when I was young. (laughs) And I'm like, Wow, Dad, you're really old. You're pretty old. (laughs) But you look good still. Thank you know? you. Nah, I love it. <laughs> so pretty much, guys, what we're gonna do is um, we're gonna first off, you know, talk about George Reeves as a person, get to know him, especially for all of you guys that don't know who he is. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna pretty much talk about how he got into the position of becoming mm-hmm. Superman, and pretty much the demons that you know followed him mm-hmm. into his death. Uh, what a lot of claim. A lot of people claim was his suicide, or for those that were very, very close to him, his murder. Mm-hmm. So first off, George Reeves was actually born George Kiefer mm-hmm. Brewer on January 5th, 1914 in Woolstock, Iowa. And George Reeves grew up mainly in Pasadena when he was, I want to say, 
10 to 11 years old he moved with his mother helen to pasadena and helen was a very overbearing and possessive mother Mm -hmm. very controlling which is why they had so much tension growing up and he really didn't have a really good relationship with his mom as he got older so it was helen her second husband frank basello and of course george reeves and just an fyi jack warner who was his uh manager was the one that gave him the name george reeves Mm -hmm. So we go into 1937. George is just a natural actor. He is fetched up at the Pasadena Playhouse, which is an incubator for many like Hollywood stars, mm-hmm. such as Charles Bronson and Gene Hackman, even Dustin Hoffman. And George was pretty handsome in that strapping, like jawed, like manner that he slayed the ladies of the Depression. <laughs> so these ladies were like, "We're like going through this terrible time right now," but oh my god. Look at Bay with the chiseled chin. <laughs> He'll get us through. He will get us through with his, you know, strapping good looks. So he signed on to Warner Brothers and then to Paramount, and then they kind of pimped him out to play mm. one of the Tarleton twins in Gone with the Wind. So that was his biggest break. So a little Gone, indie film. I uh, just a little Have you indie ever heard film. Of it? I've never heard. Of I it. never heard of it. <laughs> but if you guys haven't heard of it, it was like the Titanic back in the thirties. <laughs> yeah. Like my heart would go on. Clark Gable yeah. would go on. You know. Oh man, he will. <laughs> and I will not go hungry again (laughs) (laughs) no not go hungry so that was his biggest shot to fame right there Mm -hmm. and while shooting Gone with the Wind he ends up marrying his first love which was Eleonora Needles and then of course 1943 World War II hits he serves and is given the opportunity to act in army training films and stars in a war movie so he really isn't actively you know Fighting, Which he's is a little weirdly common back then. It was, yeah. Whereas, like, you can help the effort by doing like USO shows, like help the boys. I know. So if you were like famous, you were in the army, but uh-huh. not like in the trenches. You know what I mean? Right. And did you notice how like a lot of these stars that were in the military like looked so good and oh, yeah. like so quaffed? I know. <laughs> I know. Oh, I they were it. like really well dressed and quaffed mm-hmm. back then, like. Man, going into the military makes you look that good. I know. Noted. So he stars in these war movies, and then he tours with the military Mm -hmm. to promote the film and the training film. So he comes back to Hollywood in in 1951. He divorces Eleanor. It doesn't work out. And Reeves attempts the film industry again, but hits a wall due to the recession when Mm -hmm. he is struggling to get work. Mm -hmm. And at this point, it's not just him. It's all actors are struggling to get work. The studios are retrenching. Mm -hmm. They're even ditching their big name stars to save a lot of money. And then, um, as fate would have it, um, he meets the woman that will forever change his life. He meets Tony Maddox, Mm. which is the wife of MGM's bigwig producer, Eddie Maddox. And just a little FYI, Tony and Eddie's marriage is um, an interesting one. Mm -hmm. And they have what many would call an agreement. Let's Mm -hmm. just put it that way. So... Tony meets George. They're both smitten. They're crazy about each other. Tony is 25 years older than George, but George is like, I don't care. Like, she's like, she's hot. So it becomes an open affair. What they have is just an open secret in the business that Reeves had been conducting a long term affair with Tony. And Eddie is playing along with it. Like, he doesn't even care to the point. They end up doing double adulterous dates with one another. I guess that can make sense. Like, Eddie... Like, he had his mistress. She had... Yes. George Reeves. 
they're going out to eat with each other's lovers together. What and do it you was, even talk about? Um, <laughs> That's so crazy. No. I'm trying to think, like, what would you talk about? What did you do today? Um, <sighs> we locked each other. Well, we were locked in the bedroom for a while, mm-hmm. and I don't want to know anything else. Perfect. Just um, a lot of nodding and smiling. A lot of nodding and smiling Drinking, and cutting of the steak yes. and, like, oh, aggressive no. feeding. Oh, that sounds like my worst nightmare. <laughs> I know. It just sounds like an I'm awkward too Tinder too waspy for that. Just like, oh, oh it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> if I, I don't know. If I was, like, the mistress to Eddie, <sighs> I would be like, uh, can you bring the rest of the bottle of champagne oh, here? <laughs> 100%. I think what you do is at that point you talk to the other, so like you talk to George Reeves because he's the other man, yeah, you're the other you woman. Yeah, you can connect with them. It's like, what do I do with my hands? Oh, God. What, do I even look? Can I eat look at you? I would, yeah, most likely eat my feelings and oh, drink my yeah. feelings at that I point. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so, um, so pretty much... Eddie and Tony have this arrangement. They're, you know, doing their own thing. And it's kind of funny because, like, they consider themselves a very strong Catholic couple. Mm. It's like, I love how they throw the word Catholic into it, but then they save it by saying, oh, but we always remain married. Mm -hmm. But they never remain, you know, committed or faithful. faithful, Right. You know, amen. So... (laughs) Um, when there is a will to find a loophole, you will find a loophole. They, yes. And in Hollywood, there were a tremendous so amount many, of loopholes. So <laughs> Basically, I just feel like just don't get caught. At that point, like, if you don't get, like, caught in a tabloid scandal, anything goes. Anything goes. And then the second it becomes, like, public knowledge, mm-hmm. you're done. Yeah. And it's so funny how even back then news traveled oh, yeah. so fast. Like, word of mouth was just, like, their form of Twitter, you know? <laughs> Except they had they didn't have hashtags. They were just like, well, did you know? Or uh, did you hear? <laughs> a simpler time. Here, it's like, hashtag unfaithful. Oh, and there was like, oh. well, did you know he's unfaithful? I love it. <laughs> so, Tony becomes George's sugar mama. Yes. Which is weird, because here's the thing. Like, George was not close with his mother but in a way it's like he finds his motherly figure inside tony because tony showers him with gifts and i'm not talking about a box of chocolate or a tie it was like here's a rolex um here's a jaguar so tony ends up buying him an expensive car he buys she buys him a jaguar and then ends up buying him a house in benedict canyon and then there were even weeks where Tony would stay for days, months, and weeks at the house. And then even George would stay days or weeks at Tony and Eddie's house. Whoa. They would wake up together, have breakfast with Eddie, and sometimes it's Mr. I'm telling you, like, it was just a very... If someone wants to buy me a house, I am amenable to that. I know. I'm... Ooh. Yeah. I mean, if... All right, <laughs> well, here. <laughs> you're married. I'm not. So in you're fairness, not, I, I know. have a lot less strings to worry about. Exactly. You know, I don't have to pay taxes. Ooh. I don't have to pay rent. I don't have to pay utilities. I might help with, you know, gar- garbage and disposal. Yeah. That's included. Oh, then that's... You get breakfast out of it? You get breakfast it? out of it. That's great. Maybe your laundry done. That's crazy. I know. What a perfect setup. Oh, man. <laughs> Bryce is like, what am I doing wrong? I know. <laughs> How do I get this set up? So um, they were even in talks about getting married to one another if Eddie were to die. So friends very close to them would, you know, tell tabloids, yeah, like they would start planning their wedding. Like, oh, this is how I would want it. This is the type of dress I would wear. This is where we would have, you know, our wedding, things like that. Like they were completely committed. 
So the year before Reeves' death, he abruptly ends his relationship with Mannix, with Tony, leaving her for the younger New York socialite Lenore Lemon, who is, in my opinion, kind of pers- like personality-wise resembles and mimics Paris Hilton. Oh. Yeah, she doesn't, I mean, she is a brunette, but it's just her, like, she sees money, she goes for it, mm-hmm. pretty much. So here's a little tidbit about Lenore Lemon. She is, by all accounts, a bit of a hellraiser. Uh-huh. She is a hard drinker and hard partier, which is why her and George got along so well because mm. George was a big drinker and he was into partying in all aspects. And she gave as good as she got and had the dubious distinction of being or had been the first woman to be thrown out of the New York's famous store club for fist fighting. Get it, girl. I know. Really? <laughs> she got some grit, pretty Clear much. Your spot in history. I know. She's classy as fuck. I love it. She also had a reputation as being a gold digger, having been married twice before for money. Whoa. She even rubbed elbows with the famous mobsters Bugsy Siegel and Mickey Cohen. And their chemistry of her and George was just completely undeniable, but their relationship was very, very rocky. So one minute they're very affectionate and very lovey-dovey, and the other minute they're at each other's throats. Sure. So for Tony Maddox, she's not she's not taking this very well. Mm. She's very upset, and rightfully, sh- and rightfully so. Yeah. Like, you buy this man... A house and a car you spend so many years with each other you're pretty much saying I love yous there's a lot of invested emotions yeah and she is older so she's left for this younger piece of meat and pretty much so for her it was very very humiliating because you know she was dumped by this younger man for a younger woman and Reeves immediately moves Lemon into the house that Tony no. bought for them. <laughs> Which is even more fucked up. I would, if I, yeah, if I was Tony, no, if I was Tony Maddox, I would real housewives flip a table. Yes. Do all crazy stuff. I would be that crazy lady. So two months before George's death, and I want to just pretty much lay it out to kind of piece this puzzle together so people are not asking, mm-hmm. like, why you know the sudden death all of a sudden so george was battling with a lot of personal demons and he wanted out of the superman show and he also was getting older so he wasn't getting taken seriously as a serious actor Mm -hmm. because people just noticed him as superman so due to his superman persona his depression increased his drinking increased and his gambling increased as well so on april 8th Reeves lost control of his Jaguar and careened into a cement pillar near his home in Benedict Canyon, and he was lucky to escape with head injuries that in- that required him to take powerful painkillers right up to the night that he died. So Oof. this is important information because this also plays into his murder, slash suicide, slash whatever you want to call it. Murdy Suey. Murdy Suey. In Hollywood, <laughs> that's how you call it, I, I guess. guess. <laughs> the accident was rendered a more in a more sinister light when, when Reese's mechanic discovered that brake fluid in mm-hmm. the car had been drained. And had the usually diligent actor neglected to maintain his prized Jaguar properly? Or was this a senior moment he had? Or, or as some had suspected, a murder attempt mm-hmm. by Tony or Eddie Mannix. 
but things were starting to pan out for him in some ways, having the film industry um, give him a shot in the big film Into Eternity. So he had that under his belt, and then he had a major pay increase after he threatened his TV producers of The Adventures of Superman that he was ready to walk out unless they were to pay him more. So back then, he was getting paid, I think, close to fifteen or $1,800 a week, which is nothing. Right. When you had these amazing actors getting paid close to like quadruple what he was making, even more. So he was ready to walk out, and they said, no, we'll give you an extra pay bump, as well as giving him the opportunity to direct episodes mm-hmm. of the show. And the show was even going to be traveling to Australia to do a major tour because they had a humongous fan base out of Australia. So they were ready to do that. And then it leads us to his death. So Cliff notes around Mm -hmm. 2 a.m. in the morning on June 16, 1959, two police officers arrived at 1579 Benedict Canyon and the house Reeves had been living at with his, you know, new fiance, mm-hmm. Lenore ne- Lemon, during the previous few months. So Lemon had called them after she and her party guests had found Reeves dead in his bedroom. And those guests were neighbors Carol Von Ronkel, mm-hmm. her lover Robert Condon, because Homegirl was also married, so she also had to have another side mm-hmm. lover, and another neighbor, William Bliss. So due to their advanced state of inebriation, the party guests were not entirely coherent, but they all seemed to agree on the same suicide story. Mm. So at around midnight, a bad temper Reeves had marched downstairs to yell at the trio for their noise before returning upstairs. And he ends up fighting with Lemon and then with Bliss. George grabs a drink, calms down, and ends up joining the party. He chats with everyone, brings out his acoustic guitar, Mm -hmm. and even sings him a ballad before heading up to his bedroom. Minutes later, a shot is heard. This is documented from the friends. um, And this shot is heard from George's room. And Bliss rushes upstairs to find George naked, back on his bed, feet on the ground with a gunshot wound to his right temple Mm. and on the ground between his feet was a lugger pistol. So police arrive 40 minutes after Mm. a call was made. So they arrive immediately to the house and they immediately rule it a suicide and they immediately do an autopsy, which is kind of odd. So soon after, George's mom, Helen, hires a PI and requests a second autopsy, which showed that Reeves's head and hands showed no signs of gunshot residue or powder burns, even if the actor had not placed the gun to his head at point-blank range, as is usual in suicides, Mm. it should have left some obvious marks on his forehead and burn marks on his right hand, not to mention his right hand was injured from another accident, Hmm. and he was under the influence of painkillers. So how was he able to pull the trigger? Mm-hmm. And how was he also under the influence of one having that nightcap and pain medication to be, you know, in that state of mind of, you know, I'm going to kill myself mm-hmm. because it was a clean shot. Right. It was clean. And not to mention that while investigators were in the room, you know, pretty much looking for any sort of evidence, they noticed one, they found a gunshot um, on the ground, like a a bullet hole in the ground and then they noticed that they found another gunshot too on the upper corner of his room above the molding mm-hmm. of the ceiling 
which if he was, you know, if he did shoot himself in the right temple, it should have been parallel and mm -hmm. would have hit, you know, the direct wall, not at an angle. Mm -hmm. So that is pretty much all in the air right now. People are kind of confused. Did he, you know, do this all on his own? Was this something, you know, that was caused by his mm -hmm. depression or was it a murder? Well, and I think, too, one of the things that was, I always found so weird is that as I was, like, reading about this is later uh, the mother, she didn't believe that it was a suicide. So she really starts not only the controversy, right. but just, like, the question of, like, okay, but why do all these people's stories, like, almost word perfect sound the same? Exactly. They were all super intoxicated, so it was really hard to get a statement in the first place. And mm -hmm. then all of a sudden, like... They all sign this statement, like it must be true. Mm -hmm. So then she's the one that starts financing, like the reopening of the investigation, like a couple of weeks or months later. And then they start finding these things that don't add up. Like, why are there defensive wounds all over his body, like bruises? And like, why didn't the coroner catch that? Why wouldn't they have made note of this? Like, you were saying with the burns and the hand injury and the body bruising, like, what are these things? And that second investigation was also ruled like inconclusive so it's like again not that the second one created all these answers necessarily yeah but just like i think that's where the questions start being raised like wait a minute the maybe this mom is right and they did not have a good relationship so it's like not even that she's a very reliable narrator mm -hmm. she like lied to him his whole life essentially right um, one of the things i was reading is that she told him that his either dad yeah I think his dad had killed himself and then he found out like as an adult that he wasn't dead oh my god that crazy? that's so messed so they up. do not have a good relationship so it's not this like loving mother no like crusading for like the loss of her son it's like this woman he was very estranged from yeah and even she is like mm, I have some concerns yeah I have some questions yeah so it's um, so crazy Mm -hmm. Because basically, they a they didn't as a general rule do a lot of gunpowder testing no. at that time. It just wasn't that common. It was like a new science essentially. Yeah. So you could rule that out. Like, well, they just didn't do that. But for something so specific, like a suicide of someone who was famous, you would think they would explore every option. And it was like within hours, they're like, great, this is a suicide. Wrap it up. And I think a lot of people, especially in the industry, oh, yeah. were not buying it. And I think no. that's where the questions start like popping up is like his close friends, his actor and producing industry type friends, like, mm, this doesn't seem right. There's something not sitting very well with us. Oh yeah. He had his manager, mm -hmm. his friend, uh, what was his name? Evan Thomas was yes. a really close friend of his. And Evan Thomas will later learn has a lot of receipts of you know what may have been the most probable cause mm. but we'll soon discuss that because you're going to pretty much take us to church church time church time <laughs> with 40s hollywood yes. industry talk so for a lot of these actors guys and even actresses in hollywood mm. they're dealing with a lot of personal de demons yes. but aside from that they're dealing with demons in hollywood and I mean, I'm not talking about like this battle between heaven and hell. Mm. I'm talking about like really evil producers, executives, yeah. 
everything. Well, I think it goes back to, and we, you know, now we've said this a couple times, but I think it still rings true, is like, all of this stuff that's happening now, right. with the Me Too movement, with all these allegations that are being proven very true, this is not our first trip as a city or mm-hmm. as an industry to this rodeo. Mm-hmm. This has been going on for decades, since the inception of this industry. It's different. The beast has changed its face, mm-hmm. but it's still the same lurking problem in this industry especially. I don't know if it's just because we can't get away from our past, but this is not a new problem. And you can see, especially in the like 30s and 40s, how rampant that you know golden era of film but the dark side of that is so nefarious it is it was so like severe yeah to me like back then it was more corrupted and, oh i totally think it, that is more oh corrupted. yeah i think it went more privatized if you will yes so i think what you can say the the story arc of control in hollywood has transitioned from Lots and the production companies having the power mm-hmm. to less of that and more individual producers having the power. There's still that power struggle, that like constant dynamic that is being abused, mm-hmm. but you don't have actors being owned by studios anymore. It's now individual producers. So that I think is better. Mm-hmm. You're not just a number to a corporation. It's not right still. No. But you can look back, and I think one of the main things, there's an, a little quote I was telling you about before, and it's just on the Wikipedia page, but just the one sentence, and it just says, they lent him to producer so-and-so for a project. And just that, Ugh. like, slave language of, like, yeah, you can borrow him, you can have him, we'll, like, let you purchase him. And it's so crazy because you, I personally know more examples of women that this has affected. You look at Judy Garland, you look at that era, Shirley Temple, all of these like young, young starlets through the modern era, all of these women talking about their experiences, being abused, being assaulted, all of that. So for it to be happening to a man in this time period is so fascinating to me. I think it really shows you Mm -hmm. the scope of the problem. Right. So in essence, he, especially like you were saying, he comes back from the war yeah, and is looking for work and there isn't very much. No. And so you're essentially at that point studio fodder. He's in a lot of B films. He was in movies with Ronald Reagan, like Western B <laughs> movies. like, And you're doing a lot of like commercial type work and it's how he got Superman yes which you know at the time he booked it was sort of seen as like a fall from grace he had done mostly film work up until that point and television wasn't the way it is now Mm -hmm. it was really seen as like lesser it was super corporate you're selling ad space that the main characters will be like holding up to the camera during the script um, he's shooting an impossible filming schedule. Like, it's just not a great. Like you were saying, he wasn't getting paid that much. No, initially. it was a lot of work for little pay, and it's still like that today. <laughs> I mean, yeah, totally. I mean, we are in the golden age of television, so I think mm-hmm. it is switching. But there's still some holdouts from that, and they essentially controlled him because of that. He didn't have enough money mm-hmm. to get out from under that. He also had a huge, like, 
problem handling his money with gambling yeah. and all of that. So that didn't help. But he didn't have, like, just tons of options. And it, it was, really was that situation where, like, if you ruined your contract with one studio, it wasn't like you could skip across the street and go to another studio. And that, I think, is the advantage we have now. Mm-hmm. I think the phrase, you'll never work in this town again, no longer applies. With the ability to create your own content, with things like YouTube or podcasting or play anything, that no longer applies. But back then, someone says, you'll never work in this town again, you will never work in this town again. It's a very real threat with very real consequences, especially for someone who doesn't have enough money to buy his own things. Exactly. His house, his car, his clothes. No. You are essentially indentured to these studios. And Mm -hmm. then they're telling you what you will and won't act in. And so for him, as he starts getting older, you know, and again, no one knew that Superman was going to be a success. So once that happened, it did sort of shift that power dynamic a little bit. Uh, Like you were saying, he had some things coming up he had started his own production company and he wanted to direct and all of those things but and even with that he's really trapped in the clutches of the studio essentially Uh, they won't cast him as anything else because he's making the money Mm -hmm. as superman now so it's like this weird situation like damned if you do damned if you don't like you're not making money without acting Mm -hmm. so like I guess take the work that you need the Superman money and then you can't escape it like they get you coming and going essentially and it's so crazy to me and then like that never went away basically Mm -hmm. it's just like well yeah there's people who are still doing that you look at like Nicolas Cage basically takes any movie and people are like why does he take such bad movies he's in mountains of debt and can't say no to the paycheck exactly as one example oh yeah it's just all paycheck he just wants a paycheck and he's not the only one and again none of these situations that we're seeing in the news today Mm -hmm. are new no they've all been repeated they've all happened before it's just layers of sediment that we keep building upon like you can look at George and see his career and it's mirrored in actors today it's so crazy it's 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 still like that and it's so funny because you are right today performers and and Mm. you yourself you're an actor and you know yes you are book me for superman (laughs) (laughs) um for george if he wanted out of superman back then Mm. it was it was a no Mm -hmm. if he was doing superman today say like superman was this new show coming out and he already had a season or two under his belt they would have either killed him off Mm -hmm. or had hired another superman that looked identical Mm -hmm. like him like when a lot of performers especially in shows that are very very successful they want out of their contract well okay fine you want out we're gonna kill you off we're gonna give your character cancer and your character's gonna die that's it yeah or your character is going to go away. Something's going to happen yep. to him. So that's how they pretty much handle those types of productions nowadays and totally. how they handle performers nowadays. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it is very sad. And, you know, again, I think it is changing. I think that's no longer quite as common, I like to think. Um, but those echoes still very much, you know, sort of bounce around the industry where it's like, yeah, in a perfect world, 
you're not getting taken advantage of by a producer anymore. Mm-hmm. But we can see that that's not the case. Like, I, it's so funny. I, I keep bringing it up. I think it's just because I'm so obsessed with the sort of story arc, if you will, of the Me Too movement. Yeah. I think it's such an important point in history for this industry and for women in general across all industries. Mm-hmm. I think we're really, hopefully, looking at a time where, like, enough really is enough. Yeah. And, like, we will no longer keep allowing these things to happen. I hope. I'm very hopeful for that. Um, one of the things I find so fascinating, I was reading about uh, Peter Jackson's comments uh, mm-hmm. regarding Ashley Judd, as many of us know. She was, like, essentially the first person to come forward and accuse Harvey Weinstein. And basically, she was saying, and if you read her, like, actual uh, letter, that, like, it essentially ruined her career because no one would hire her. Yeah. And then Peter Jackson talked about Lord of the Rings, and that she was like on the short list. They wanted her, and that it, he didn't even realize that she was being blacklisted. That's how subtle it was, because someone just mm-hmm. super innocuously in the meeting said, you don't want to work with her. She's very difficult to work with. Yes. And he was sort of taken aback by that, and he had met her a few times, I believe, and was like, oh, I didn't get that impression, but if, you, if that's what you say, like, great, she's off the list. And just that quick, you're out of one of the biggest franchises in film history mm-hmm. and she said that when she read that interview with him that she was so heartbroken but so validated at the same time because it gave voice to the fact that she knew it was happening she couldn't stop it because she couldn't pinpoint where it was coming from mm-hmm. and you know he was saying I had no idea that anything had happened between her and Harvey Weinstein or that she was accusing him or might accuse him. This is, you know, now 10, 20 years, 15 years ago. It was just that quick of, oh, no, no, she's difficult to work with. Don't hire her. And then she wasn't. And it's so crazy that we're still, that that is still a thing that can happen. So, you know, again, I keep bringing it up, but I think it's so fascinating that we are at a point where people are saying, like, no, this cannot keep happening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you look back, to the 40s especially all of these people you look at the Rock Hudson story you look at Judy Garland and the after effects of that and how much control the studios had over them and just the personal hells they were living through because of it the drug addictions and the gambling problems and the alcoholism and the insane sexual taboos that they were participating in just to like feel some small sense of control it was just everywhere they were Mm -hmm. all so trapped by it no you're right and i mean it it gets to one point where they're they don't even feel like human beings they just Mm -hmm. feel like a piece of meat or a piece of property they they 100 percent were Mm -hmm. i mean it's so crazy and you know it's so weird as someone who is a struggling actor Mm -hmm. like you kind of do get it like oh yeah i guess i would I would put up with a lot to be like financially stable mm-hmm. or famous or mm-hmm. successful or whatever the blank is for you personally. So you can kind of understand like, well, but I'm famous. This is what I wanted. Like, this is the price I have to pay. And then your personal life is just in shambles because you can't be who you truly are. Yeah. Because a studio executive is telling you like you you, you don't can't. Get to do that. It's not even a studio executive anymore. It's PR. Totally. Oh, it, my God. it is. I, I mean, I have friends. I can't say where they work or else mm-hmm. they'll get in trouble. 
but they do work in PR for entertainment. Oh, and every time I read something about a couple going with their, through a divorce, mm-hmm. I, I would always mention it to them. They would always tell me, huh, do you really believe that? I could tell you that that's all oh, staged. Yeah. That's in 100%. a contract. I think even E! had a show based on it yes. with an actress who was up and coming and they told her you have to be with another actor and here's the deal you guys are going to be married for five years we're going to pay you this much and then you're going to have a kid and then you guys are going to divorce and this is how much you'll get paid after the divorce and you'll go off, go off and do you know your big things and he'll go off and become famous and both of you would have your big careers and it's done yeah. it's a deal you know it's, it's a product a that deal. they're yep. always a deal and I'm just so shocked too. Even working in this industry as a costume designer and stylist too, mm-hmm. I hear from a lot of actresses. There's this one actress I was fitting, and I remember her getting a text in the middle of the fitting, and then she looks over at her manager. She has a disgusted look on her face, mm-hmm. and she looks at her manager, and she's like, uh, "He's texting me again." And I overheard her say, "You know, he wants me to come over." tonight to hang out with him and you could just tell like she just didn't feel comfortable and i later find out it was this producer that wanted her for this film yeah and we were we were styling this girl for a magazine she was in this big showtime show Mm -hmm. and she was really sweet really nice Mm -hmm. i think she had just turned 20 years old and i even heard too that um, the the producer wanted her to come over for drinks. No, twenty don't year go. old. Don't go. Twenty year old, a twenty year old for drinks, and then what? At nine o'clock at night at a stranger's yeah, place. Yeah, I mean, you are not safe in that situation. No, no, it was like an immediate you don't, you no. No, like, uh, did you ever watch that show Smash? Yeah. There was a one scene where the lead in it goes over to the director's house. And like sings happy birthday, Mr. President, to him. Mm-hmm. Do you and that scene made me so angry. Right. It's like, why would you go over to someone's house that you don't know by yourself alone at night? Mm-hmm. And it like gets her the part. I'm like, this is a horrible message to be sending. Right. Like, yeah, do it. This go is to... how ambition yeah. works, and it's ladies. Like, like, no, it doesn't. Know, she like it doesn't have to work a like that. Sassy remark, and she walks out, and I'm like, this is a terrible message to be sending. That like this is okay. And I, I'm sure that's not, you know, it's a great show. I actually really enjoyed it. And I don't think that's the message they're trying to send. But, like, that is the best possible scenario. Mm-hmm. Most likely that's not how it's going to end, that you're going to walk out unscathed. At the very least, you're going to feel incredibly uncomfortable. Oh, that makes me so scared. It Ugh. was very scary. I could just tell, like, the look she gave her manager and the manager, like, in response was like, absolutely not. Thank God. Thank God you for know, that manager. Good for them. Good for them. Like no, they were a good us. group. Like I met, I remember like talking to her manager, and I also remember talking to another agent that was there present during the shoot, mm-hmm. and and she was just a nice girl. She was up and coming, and she even like had aspirations of being a singer. Like she had plans, but what about the other girls that don't have that? That's what I was thinking. You know, they don't have this you know, support group around them. Or, I know, and this is so unfair to lump them all together, but I always think mm-hmm. about, like, show parents. Oh, my God. to sell their kids <laughs> for any... Have you seen that documentary? Yes. I think it's on Netflix about that apartment complex that is literally 
five minutes from here. No. What you, is this? Oh, I can't remember the I name. I thought you were going to say the Amy Winehouse documentary. Oh, no, no, so no, no, no. I can't remember the name of it. Oh, my God. It, it's in, I think it's like on the cusp of Burbank and Studio City, okay. but it's an apartment complex where all these big stars started off, like when they were kids. Yeah. They started off there, and it's for pretty much families that are, they have a child or children that want to make it in the industry, oh, no. so they stay in this complex this community and they have quit their jobs mm-hmm. or they have left their families in you know lord knows where like the midwest the, midwest, the yeah. south somewhere and they've pretty much traveled with their child to la and they're living in a one-bedroom apartment mm-hmm. in this community and all they do is pretty much send their kids out to auditions train them pretty much you know make them work you know around the clock each day just so they can get signed with disney just so they can get signed with nickelodeon and and just so they can get signed anywhere but i mean it's really sad because it's like this is their life they've pretty much are sacrificing everything for the future of their child being in this industry and that's so scary because i think when your mindset is like get signed at all costs Mm -hmm. you're willing to risk safety right to do that and that is so i mean hollywood is too predatory you have to like you need people protecting you and like looking out for your best interest because it's that shiny lure is so hard to say no to sometimes yeah and you need people to say like you're not doing that so if your parent isn't even the one Mm -hmm. protecting you you're, I just think, oh man, those poor kids. I just hope they're okay. <laughs> In my opinion, George was a natural actor, and he mm-hmm. did it for the art. Mm-hmm. He was talented from the very beginning when he started out in the Pasadena Playhouse. And I remember even reading in between, you know, auditioning, he would still participate in audition for shows at the Playhouse. Mm-hmm. But um, in 1950, I think it was 51 or 52, Tony pretty much pushed him to audition for Superman. Mm. He gets the part and doesn't think anything of it. Superman is like a B totally show, TV show. But then it gets huge, especially for children between the ages yes. of four and up. So when he dies, it was a major blow to his audience. Yes. It was really, really sad. There was a picture of this little boy in tears with a Superman cape, and he's looking down on the floor, and he's crying. He has the, the newspaper article, uh, Superman's dead. It's so sad. Well, and he took that so seriously, too. He George did. quit smoking because of the show. Yeah. And he, like, really embodied and was, like, one of the first, like, role model celebrities. Like, he didn't delineate between his like personal and he did a little bit Mm -hmm. obviously there was a lot of like skeletons in his closet but he really embodied that persona for Mm -hmm. his fans he He really like encouraged them to believe that he was superman yeah and i think that's so sweet that like he gave up smoking like at a time when nobody even thought smoking was that bad. Like, mm-hmm. it's just so sweet. Like, he really cared about his audience, even though he might not have cared that much about the project itself. Mm-hmm. The yeah. audience meant a lot to him mm-hmm. and the show because they were, you know, just made up of innocent children. Yeah. And they weren't, you know, corrupted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's move forward yes. with the suspects. 
Yes. There's a ton of them. Not a lot of them. I mean, there's probably like, yeah, like three or three four of them. Three-ish, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we are going to start with Eddie Maddox. Eddie's exploits in covering up the sleazy underbelly of mm. Hollywood were legendary. As portrayed in the films such as Hollywoodland and Hail Caesar, Eddie had an array of thugs, bent cops, private eyes, mm -hmm. mobsters on his payroll. So no scandals were too big to be neutralized mm -hmm. by Eddie from covering up Clark Gable accidentally killing a young actress by the name of Tosca Roland to tracking down and buying every single copy of porn that uh, starred Joan <laughs> Crawford. So he... In my opinion, I feel like he's the dude that came up with the saying, make it look like an accident. Yes. That's just how I see him. If anyone could put heat on Superman, it was Eddie. So was he responsible on behalf of his wrong wife mm. for the misfortunes that had befallen our Reeves in the run up to his death? And was Eddie a man suspected of killing his first wife, Bernice Fitzmorris, behind the bullet to the head that ended the actor's life? quite possibly you know anything for his second wife tony mm -hmm. maddox which there is a lot of shade with this man yes. because he was married to bernice fitzmorris who mysteriously died and the reason behind this is and i know that this guy was behind her murder because she was ready to divorce him mm -hmm. and leave him and all of a sudden, she is shot down. Mm -hmm. And, you know, same thing with George Reeves. He was ready to leave. Well, he already left Tony, but he did, he wasn't ready to leave Lemon to make Tony happy and be right. with her. And everything was going to go back to the way it was. No, he was ready to marry mm -hmm. Lemon. The second suspect is Tony Maddox. Mobster Mickey Cohen once described Tony Maddox as the only person in Hollywood who ever had any balls. Hmm. So when George Reeves spunned his long-term mistress for a younger model, she did not take a line down, and Reeves himself was convinced it was Maddox behind a string of strange incidents that had befallen him in the aftermath of their breakup. So hmm. he was inundated with menacing silent phone calls at all hours of the morning Oof. and night and someone even abducted his beloved dog, Sam. Sam, no. When you involve animals. That is wrong. That is so wrong. Cut my brake <laughs> you lines, went, but you leave my you dog really, out of it. <laughs> oh, my God. When you bring animals into it, you take it to another level. Yeah. So it was bye-bye puppy Sam. Oh, Sam. And it was no wonder Reeves asked for a restraining order against Mannix, but that didn't help at all. No, of course all. not. So there could have been you know a discussion between tony and eddie like what can we do to take care of this mm -hmm. there's an option right there lenore lemon i like to put her on a list called this bitch this bitch, <laughs> this bitch is crazy she is crazy this bitch is a gold digger <laughs> this bitch has some problems Okay, so according to Evan Thomas, who was a very close friend to George Reeves, mm. Lenore Lemon was having an affair with a heavyweight lawyer named Ed Bennett Williams. They're all just sleeping with, with every, everyone. Like, nobody's. Faithful. I know. What's the point of getting married? Do just do have, just, just do it. To <laughs> just it, do it. Yeah, just just pretty much, you know, skip the wedding. Don't even bother with rings. No. Just, <laughs> just go at it like rabbits. Carry I know. On. Let's have an open understanding how yeah. about that oh. so lenore lemon met williams at a new york city hangout 
and she, let's just put it this way she educated him on the nightlife and the bedroom Ooh. yes girlfriend did not play so williams was the least sophisticated guy you ever met and lemon referred to him as the freshman considering oh. that he was also 20 years older than she was Whoa. uh lemon was pretty much a hussy because williams was also a married man but adultery was the name of the game during this time as we you know earlier discussed and after reeves died thomas said that thomas said that uh lemon called williams so ash oh yeah well because <laughs> no. williams is the celebrity l lawyer who if a celebrity was in trouble, he was the first person to call. Help me get out of this. Whoa. Let me see what I can do. So she calls Williams and tells Williams Superman is dead. Superman is dead. And Williams instructs her to call the police and keep her mouth shut. Uh -huh. And Thomas further adds that Lemon promptly told the police she had fired the pistol while fooling around before Reeves had killed her himself when they asked about the bullet hole on the ground which was another thing that was found in the investigation there was that bullet hole in the floor where did it come from they mm. questioned her about it she had the right answer case closed you know just messing around with a gun i was just messing around with a gun i was like do you press this trigger no you suspicion at all. <laughs> uh, that, that checks out carry on you're free to go ma'am so then thomas goes on in this article and says only lemon can turn a suicide into a homicide. <laughs> Thomas finds this out through mutual friends that were present mm -hmm. at um, at their house that night. So this is all being told to him, I think, by William Bliss. Mm -hmm. And um, after Reese's death, Lemon breaks into the house, which is already taped off as a crime scene she takes four thousand dollars that was supposed to go to their honeymoon and jets out of town and goes directly back to new york she marries jacob l jackie webb who's the great great grandson of cornelius vanderbilt who was a part of the vanderbilts Whoa. which is one of the most wealthiest families at this time in the united states so so she's clearly heartbroken she is so devastated she needs wow. like hundred dollar bills to wipe off uh -huh. her tears pretty much i know I <laughs> i'm sad i'm sad i <laughs> cried you know all the way into jackie's arms wow. so she <laughs> this bitch um ah. marries jackie and eight days later leaves him <laughs> but remains married to him jackie's like but the sex are great, you know. Can mm -hmm. we just stay married just so we continue to be physical? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So Lemon goes ahead and somehow, somehow is able to marry another person, and that is musician Hamas Menzies. And she remains married to Menzies, but um, she still is able to sue Jackie, who had moved on to another woman, had you know, forgotten about Lemon, forgot to divorce Lemon before oh marrying this woman. So Lemon's like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to pretty much sue you on and charge you for bigamy. Oh, my God. Yes. So <laughs> I feel like homegirl's like ahead of her game here. She knows she knows what's up. She knows what's up when money's involved. She knows what's up. But her time runs out, you know. So what ends up happening to Lemon 
she ends up dying old and alone in a small New York City apartment due to natural causes. She's penniless. She's an alcoholic. And her body isn't found until five days after her death. She died old and alone. That's sad, but also karma. I know. Karma. It's doesn't pan out for her very well you know wow yeah that's crazy that is insane so So who is your money on my money's on lemon is it i just immediately it was lemon like i just felt that and it was even depicted in hollywood lands because if some of you haven't seen it it's very good it's it's really it's really good i think that Diane Lane did a superb job. Oh, she's just the best. Oh my god. Adrian Brody was amazing. Bob Hoskins, who plays Eddie Mannix, was mm. flawless, but I felt like Ben Affleck really didn't capture Reed's sure. spirit. He looked the part. Totally. But I don't think he was 100% in it, in my opinion. He, for me, he was the vehicle of the story because, like, it's about his character. Right. But I was more interested in the other characters. Like, right, he was kind of like the straight man uh-huh. in a sense. Like, I didn't really care that much mm-hmm. about, like, and that's not true. I cared about the story of him. But, like, for my money, like, Adrian Brody and Diane Lane were just, like, flawless, crushing it. So flawless. it's like you couldn't take your eyes away from them in a I sense. I know. Diane Lane is one of my Ugh, favorite she's... actresses. I think the only two movies I like Ben Affleck in were Chasing Amy and Mallrats. Those were the only two <laughs> I like. But other than that, I I felt that the Affleck duck would have done a better job. I love especially it. with that transatlantic like four days talk. Yeah. But with Ben Affleck, it just sounded like he was struggling. Like I'm, I'm a cracking like a duck or and something. And it's hard to like <laughs> get the image of him as Batman out of. Like, <sighs> That's another bit. freaking yeah, thing. Like, oh, I can't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't know, for me, it's always Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer will forever. That's your guy. That's my guy. I love it. That's my guy. He's just, I just liked him. No, I loved him as Batman. Yeah, so. he's good. I didn't really like him as much when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. But then as an adult, like, rewatching, I was like, oh, I was an idiot. Like, what was I thinking? Mm-hmm. Oh, what were you thinking? I don't know. <laughs> Such a foolish young lad. But I, I thought it was, it's just lemon. I just thought that... What may have happened, and this is another thing, too, that even Evan Thomas said in an article Mm -hmm. with one of the friends that even shared this with him. And this was, I think this was William Bliss, who was there present that night. Mm -hmm. He said that Lemon followed Reeves up to the room. Mm -hmm. A gunshot was heard. She comes rushing down, immediately telling them, tell him I was downstairs, tell him I was downstairs. I think... I, I think there was a scuffle upstairs. I think it's just that she's such a tough girl. Yeah. She even got physical with him in right. some situations. Friends of theirs even said, like, she would always, you know, either push him, slap him. You know, she oh. was really aggressive with him. I think maybe she was going after the gun, mm-hmm. threatening him with the gun, and maybe the gun went off and it was an accident. Interesting. Yeah. And she also had Williams, who was her side hussy, yep. <laughs> her freshman that was on standby, like, for any... Ready to cover. Yeah, yeah, ready to cover. Interesting. That's just... To me, I just... All my money's on Lemon. Yeah. What do you think? I think it's a mix. I don't know that... I think a lot of times these types of situations are, like, 
some kind of amalgamation mm-hmm. and then like the truth will never really be known the reason i think that it's possible that she wasn't acting alone i think she might have pulled the trigger mm-hmm. i don't think she was acting alone because oh. of the break line incident which is such a classic mob type move cut the break lines right that's the only thing that gives me like a little bit of pause so i wonder if it's some kind of hybrid of like the ex-wife paying her off to do it or the you know what i mean something along those lines of like that is maybe true she's such a money grubber too and he wasn't that wealthy honestly no he was fine but he was comfortable, he yeah. He was not, like, but not Hollywood lemons. royalty. He yes. was, like, middle class he was. Hollywood wealthy, which is still very wealthy. He wouldn't afford to buy that house on his own and, that, and drive no. that car. And, and so, I, yeah, yeah, I just think maybe she could have been bought off. That is such an interesting take just on it. Just because I don't it's think true. she seems, to me, clever enough or focused enough. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? She kind of always has these people in the shadows, like the lawyer... Mm-hmm. Kind of, she would not have been clever enough, I don't think, to come up with her own alibi. No. That has the lawyer's fingerprints all over it. Mm-hmm. I don't think she would have been clever enough to murder him mm-hmm. in cold blood and like plan a party and all of that. That just seems so thought out. So I just wonder if there's like, she might have been the lightning rod, but I think that, that there are other players in the wings that kind of helped guide her a little bit. So there is not just one Lex Luthor. There were several Lex Luthers. Bringing it back to Superman. Yeah. Yeah, a little. (laughs) That's what you call innuendo. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I just think that she seems, you know, unless it is just random and they were fighting and her temper got the best of her, that is definitely a likely possibility. Mm -hmm. But because it was a series of events that led to this point, I just think, like, there was more at play than we'll probably ever know and there's a lot of allegations much later so his ex-lover uh what was her name why am i having such a hard time with that manix tony manix she had alzheimer's and up until the day she died she was recorded as like confessing to priests that she did kill him stop she would pray out loud to God and to George Reeves for forgiveness. So again, how much weight can you give to the ramblings of an adult mind? I don't know. Whether that is someone under a truth serum, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's like if mental illness steals your memory, then she could just be rambling what someone else had like said to her and that's what she's but that's pretty intense or is she telling the truth and she's not lucid enough to remember that she's not supposed to be saying it right who knows again i don't think you can put that much weight behind it but the fact is is that she did quote confess not you know it would have never held up catholic confidentiality and all Mm -hmm. that and whether or not she was even of her right mind but she died confessing quote unquote that she had done it so again do I think that she is the one that like ordered the hit maybe mm-hmm. I think that there is a mixed bag of blame to go around like Mickey Cohen said right. you know she's the only person he knows in Hollywood that had balls and you don't cross and women like that exactly I mean this woman was able to get Eddie Mannix mm-hmm. to be her husband mm-hmm. and lord knows and she was like an ex-showgirl she wasn't no. That famous before she married him. No. And then she sort of becomes this like 
dame of Hollywood, like baller. Mm-hmm. Love it. I know, which made for such a good like a like just a good plot of the totally. film. Totally. Yeah, it was just no wonder this was made into a film. Mm-hmm. It just had everything to create this big soup of plots pretty much well, yeah and it's still technically an unsolved murder it is which is so crazy that's why i just and it's so funny you say that too you mm. feel like it's a murder i felt like it was a I murder know, too yeah, we both do and a lot of people deem it as a suicide no it was a suicide he mm. had a lot of demons he was dealing with you know alcoholism he had depression he had all these you know maybe, issues yeah maybe but that's another thing that i hate that people do nowadays it's oh he had a you know mental health disorder mm. so that was the reason and we're gonna write it off right away yep. you know right away we see this myth with marilyn monroe yes. we see this even with kurt cobain there's a lot of people that you know do not think he committed suicide mm. they felt that it was you know a plotted murder who knows and the reason why people are debating about this is because someone's not telling the truth mm-hmm whether it was an accident or not, or it was premeditated, someone still, you know, is, has not, you know, come out with the truth. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we'll ever know. No, I don't think we will either. No. So let's wildly speculate. Yeah, I know, wildly <laughs> speculate. But we could speculate on this. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to go into the paranormal aftermath yes. of George Reeves' death. That's I know people so... are like, get to that part. I know. <laughs> I want to hear about some hauntings. Yeah, right <laughs> I know. So for all you paranerds out there... The house where Reeves died stands a short distance up Benedict Canyon Drive in the dense hills and narrow meandering lanes north of Sunset Boulevard. So within a mile is Cielo Drive where Charles Manson's robots massacred Sharon Tate and her friends in August of 1969. And then, of course, in the mid-90s, we had Heidi Fleiss and her string of escorts from a well-concealed house some way around, you know, right around the corner from his house. Isn't that insane? Isn't that insane? It's like, it's just this common. I know. Just, just, (laughs) Charlie and I know not to buy anything there. (laughs) We just know just to avoid it. It's fine. Smart. (laughs) Reeves Maddox estate was taken over by Tony Maddox. Lemon tried to claim it, but it wasn't in her name. So there you go. So Tony decides to rent it out and later learns that the renters are not staying at the place too long. So they move in and within several weeks, they end up moving out, immediately move out. So here are the documented uh, stories from the couples that have moved in and moved out. So one couple who had rented the home stated that strange things immediately started to happen after they moved in. They were hosting a dinner party, and out of nowhere, they heard what sounded like a commotion upstairs, followed by footsteps, and then later, a gunshot. I know, I know, I know. So the male guests of the party, being strapping lads that they are, rushed upstairs to what was, you know, what is George's room, and find that the furniture in the room had been rearranged. Items were laying all over the floor like someone had trashed the place. And then there was a heavy scent of gunpowder nope. in <laughs> in the air. Nope. Yes. Pack your bags because you are not staying in that house. Yes. They felt that someone had broken in, but they noticed that nothing was missing. They were looking for any signs of a break-in. They were even looking for, you know, a bullet hole. Like, it was a very strong scent of gunpowder. 
they didn't process, you know, anything else. They were just like, okay, maybe, you know, we drank a little too much whiskey or, or something. But then more occurrences start to happen. So their German shepherd would then refuse to enter the room of George Reeves. And at times, he would stand guard at the foot of the couple's bed as if something or someone was outside of the bedroom. So the dog would begin to bark at the door. They slept with the door closed. And as he would get closer to the door, he would whimper and back away as if something scared him that was on the other side, like said something to scare him. He just said something that was just no bueno. So until one night, one night, the couple woke up and saw a strange man standing at the foot of their bed at 2 a.m., which caused them to not even think twice to move the hell out the next day. Yeah. (laughs) So what this sounds like, too, is also a residual haunting. Mm -hmm. When you hear or see something in a repetitive motion, Mm -hmm. it's residual, like a videotape that is constantly being rewounded it's just energy that was absorbed there negative energy for that matter just replays over and over again it's not an intellectual spirit it's not communicative but then there's other allegations too that state no they believe some people believe they've made contact with george oh my god so another couple documented once again what paranerds call residual haunting and uh they would constantly hear gunshots going off between the hours of 1 a.m. to 1.20 a.m. in the morning coming out of George's room. Oh, my God. So here's another side tidbit, too. Benedict Canyon is made up of primarily bedrock. Mm -hmm. Bedrock is one of the most natural foundations that um, or structures that holds and retains energy. Really? We see this in the first episode yes. of the Sharon Tate murders. And now we see this with, you know, his home in Benedict Canyon. Wow. And this was such a violent death that he went, that, you know, he suffered. So that environment absorbed all that energy and it's just replaying and replaying followed by the shot was a very, very strong smell of gunpowder. And it got to the point with them, it got to the point that the gunpowder got so overwhelmed like got so overwhelming mm-hmm. that they ended up moving out. Oh my goodness. They felt like was it a gas leak? No, it was it was gunpowder. Yeah. Then as the house would lay vacant, police were constantly being called over to the property. Mm-hmm. So they were being called to the property by neighbors due to complaints of what sounds like commotion leading up to a gunshot. One police officer even stated that he saw a figure of a man standing on the roof with a cape. Oh my God, what? Yes, at 2 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. So, you know, that's, these are all documented events. They've been written down in an article. Another place where many believe George haunts is the Pasadena Playhouse, which is almost, which is almost, it was his second home. Right. It was very much his second home. The playhouse has what workers claim uh, to be a precocious spirit um, mm. I feel that like likes. All theaters are haunted. I know like, so it just comes. You want a theater? It comes it's with a ghost. Haunted. Let's yep. put a ghost in this little closet yep. here. Done. Done. So, done. <laughs> <laughs> so this 
precocious spirit um they claim likes to play a lot of jokes on the actors oh and the workers so people sense being tapped or touched on the shoulder uh items will be moved around oh, no. people's keys would move around as well things would go up in thin air like things would disappear Yes, some believe it could be the spirit of Gilmore Brown, which was the founder of the Playhouse. Mm. But in life, Gilmore Brown was very serious. However, Reeves used to be a big joker on the set Mm. of The Adventures of Superman. So that's why they believe it's Reeves, because Reeves used to pull a lot of jokes on his other cast members on set. So it could be he's, you know, he's an intelligent spirit going back and forth between two places that he's very, very familiar with. That's crazy. Isn't that insane? And apparently one haunting's not enough. You have to haunt two places. I know. But they could do it. They're, I mean, they're energy. Right, right. (laughs) They could probably, you know, teleport to different time periods. I mean, Lord knows. Yeah. That's crazy. So do you know, is there anyone living there now? Currently there's a gentleman living there now. He doesn't like to be interviewed. Sure. And based on what he has told other, you know, parapsychologists and paranormal investigators, that uh, there's nothing here. I don't see anything. I don't feel anything. Mm. So he's very dismissive with those types of individuals that come in. Yeah. Interesting. And if you see the house, the house is like 25 minutes from where we're located. Oh, my God. It's, I think it's 10 minutes away from the Sharon Tate house as well. But I've seen pictures of the house, and it just doesn't look like Homeboy keeps it up very well. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah, there's weeds. There's like, it just doesn't look like it's been updated in a very long time. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think too part of it is if you're like not open to, like, I think you can explain things away. So even if something is happening, he might just be like, "No, I'm not acknowledging that." Right. Or he's like not home when it happens, or something. For a lot of individuals, you know especially parapsychologists they believe there's people that are open and people that are not open Mm -hmm. to the spirit world so people that are open tend to meddle with things as such Mm -hmm. and that's when these energies or these spirits make themselves known and then there's others who just are really shut off right and we see this case with the amityville house oh you know we had the that one family that moved in right after the deaths and they went through a hell storm moved out and Lorraine Warren stated that you know the reason why they were experiencing all this is because they were open Mm -hmm. to all this uh, stuff they were open to the to spirituality not to mention they were meddling with stuff like that right and then the family that moved in right afterwards had documented saying that um, they don't experience anything Mm -hmm. And then Elaine Warren describes this family as being not open. They're just not open to anything that we're involved in. Right. So that could be, you know, another another reason why this gentleman who's rent, who's living in this house right now is not experiencing a damn thing. Well, and I think it's like, again, a word of the day apparently is like, it's an amalgamation. You bring your energy to something your experience and this is in every aspect of life but you bring everything that you are and if it happens to cross paths with something like you were saying with the residual Mm -hmm. where like maybe it's not his actual energy again i don't know 
I know so little or even know what I think about mm-hmm. the paranormal because it's just like a big question mark. If it's just like the energy of, that, of the event that happened at that place mm-hmm. and it's just waiting for someone who's bringing their energy to kind of like, quote, unlock it, mm-hmm. that would make a lot of sense to me. And then like if someone doesn't have that experience, hasn't had those things happen in their lives that make them even open to questioning, then it's not strong enough by itself maybe to like manifest but it's like when you bring your energy to it yes it like creates the perfect storm in a sense yeah no it's true there's um like a friend of mine was telling me about an article about auras some certain people carry different energies that attract other energy um you also have people that don't even know they have psychic abilities And a lot of times this can manifest in, you know, other things as well. And in, in a lot of cases, they even manifest in poltergeist activity. Yeah, it's insane. Oh so with these individuals, like I've said before in other episodes, uh, we all have an empathic sense, mm. you know, whether it's, you know, at a level one, which is the weakest to a level 10, you know, we will still be able to either sense that something's there, sure. feel that something's there, or even see or smell yeah, something that is there. That gunpowder, that's And so that's crazy. the main thing that I notice is the same thing. Everyone's mm-hmm. sensing and smelling the gunpowder. And for a lot and for that second couple that moved in, they smelled a very, very intense uh, scent of gunpowder. I mean, they thought, like, something was wrong with the house. Mm -hmm. There was even a point where they were trying to open up the windows. They even brought someone in to check the house. Maybe it was a gas leak, something. No, it was just constantly around them. Yeah. That's so crazy. Mm Mm-hmm. But who knows? Who knows? I mean, I still believe that it could be a residual haunting. Sure. I believe that, you know, it was such a negative time, especially for him and what he was feeling. And this was such a trying and very violent era. And he went out in such a violent way. Yes. Yeah. Oof. So. Moral of the story, stay out of the hills. <laughs> Don't go there. They're not worth it. Oh, my goodness. That's so But MTV crazy. portrayed it so like well oh, all of those people are haunted for sure they don't act like that without being haunted they're haunted by bad that, bad yes. plastic surgery yes. that explains so much look what happens have you seen some of them it's like Ooh. botched lips botched boobs yeah i know i know early 2000s were a rough they time. were a rough time i made some really poor fashion choices yeah we all did we all did yeah Shall we take it to a close? Let's then? do it. <laughs> well, thank you everyone for tuning in to episode three, which was the true crime and paranormal aftermath of George Reeves, AKA OG Superman. Guys, you know where to find us. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Hollywood Paranormal and on Twitter. Please follow us at HWP Podcast. Okay. Also, if you have iTunes, don't forget to comment and subscribe and also rate us Whatever you want, whatever you feel, we don't mind. We don't mind. We don't mind at all. Fix Superman tough skin. <laughs> no. I also want to do a shout out. I want to start doing these things yeah. where um, I'm going to have some uh, spiritual bays of the week and the two that I com- that come to mind. There's two. I want to give a shout out to Dark Divide Podcast. Mm-hmm. That's Bay with the True Crime Podcast. Um, thank you so much for the shout out on Twitter. I also want to give a shout out to... Uh, I think it's Asian Madness Podcast. Yes, that's right. 
Asian Madness podcast, and that is Bay with the true crime, paranormal, and lore stories based from the East. And Ooh, they've been on it. my phone while I'm like pulling costumes in my it. shop. Ah. <laughs> I've been like binge listening to them. Those two ladies are amazing. So go check them out. Show them some love. They're spiritual bays of the week. So, all right. Well, catch us next time. And always make sure to stay weird, guys. Bye. Bye.